Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen. We want to thank you for spending part of your evening with us tonight. And tonight, uh, with our co-host, Earl Erskine, thank Hi. you for being here pleasure, again. Pleasure to be here. For sharing with this. We have kind yeah. of, a, of a different, special kind of show tonight yeah. as we continue to present to this culture the differences between their religion and biblical Christianity. Having been born and raised in a polygamy group where Mormon doctrine is taught at home and in church meetings and now being able to compare biblical Christian teachings with the Mormon belief system is always an educating and a very thrilling experience for me. To apply a biblical truths to religious error is something that everyone who is in the pursuit of truth should be doing. Years ago there was a pastor in the area whose name was Dr. David Crump. And he used the Bible, the biblical book of Hebrews, as his source for a great and memorable presentation on Jesus Christ as our prophet and Jesus as our high priest. And because our culture relies on a living prophet to lead the people and has established a priesthood entity to hold authority over the people, it's important to compare their idea of a modern-day prophet and priesthood with the biblical qualifications for them. Each Mormon-based group, polygamy, the LDS Church and, and other groups, uh, have their own prophet and they have their own priesthood, different from each other, but all of them are loosely based on Joseph Smith's mandate for a priesthood. So tonight, based on the Bible and specifically the book of Hebrews, bringing eloquent points from Dr. David Crump's presentation and personal Bible study as well, we are going to present Jesus Christ, our only high priest, and Jesus as our only and final living prophet, the only one that we are obligated to go to in pursuit of truth. Tonight's show has been pre-recorded, so we won't be taking any telephone calls. And if you have any questions or comment as a result of our topic, you certainly can email us, tv at aboutpolygamy.com, or you can call us on the telephone during our next show. Polygamy groups, as well as the LDS, have established what they call priesthood authority over the people, especially authority over women. Yet there was never a priesthood in the Bible that mandated systematic and oppressive power over others or that exalted themselves over the female gender. The Bible is clear. God does not show favoritism. No one in the world ever needs to settle for anything less than the very, very best that God has to offer. And what God offers to us for a prophet and for a high priest is none other than the resurrected Lord and Savior, our prophet, our priest, and our King, Jesus Christ. He is the very, very best and is the only prophet and only high priest appointed by God. He is our way to heaven and he trumps polygamy. 
The book of Hebrews clearly presents Jesus as the only person who qualifies for the office of the high priest in the similitude of Melchizedek. Some background information is necessary to understand how the Old Testament priesthood functioned so that we can see the New Testament Melchizedek priesthood builds upon the Old Testament foundation. In the Old Testament, there were three levels of priests, and Earl is going to talk to us about that. Yeah, there were three, three different levels of priests. One was the Levites, the second was the sons of Aaron, and the third was the high priest himself. Number one, the Levites. Only those from the tribe of Levi were eligible to be priests. The Levites' priestly functions were singers, gatekeepers, and other essential duties of the temple service. But not all of the Levites could be priests. The sons of Aaron were the only ones who could serve in the office of priest. Aaron was also a Levite, only they could be priests with special temple responsibilities and service. They were responsible for the sacrificial system in the tabernacle and in the temple, which was the reason they had a temple. Now the third is the high priest himself. He had to be from the eldest member of the family through Eleazar, Aaron's son. The office of high priest was received by inheritance only, and there was only one high priest at a time. Now this, anybody who wants to assume an Old Testament priesthood would have to follow these Format. precise uh, 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 offices the way they were set up in the Old Testament, but that's not valid anymore. The book of Hebrews teaches that all three levels of the Levitical, uh, the priesthood of Aaron are now defunct, gone. That's what, the, that's what it teaches. They've been superseded by the superior and different priesthood now held by Jesus Christ, as we read in Hebrews 7.12. It says, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. A change of the law. Now, a huge change took place. Yeah, I when didn't understand this as a Latter-day Saint either. It, <laughs> it is very difficult to understand unless yeah. you unless you really have an, a mind open for God to teach us. Uh, but a huge change, uh, change did take place when Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. He brought the new covenant into effect. The old covenant is now outdated. It's it's not in effect. The new covenant or the New Testament has come, as we read in Hebrews ten nine. Yeah. It says, he set aside, sets aside the first to establish the second. Now that's very clear. It the is. first is set aside, now the second here, and that's the new covenant. That's the New Testament. The first was the, the Old Testament sacrificial system, the temple, the priesthood, but they're all obsolete now. They are gone. Jesus brought in a new covenant, making the old covenant invalid. Hebrews 8.13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. How clear can that be? Yeah. It's, it's aging, it's gone, obsolete. The new covenant, of course, is God's grace, not works, not celestial marriage or polygamy, not sacrifice, not religious law and ordinances, not priesthood authority. Colossians, you've got a couple of verses here that help yeah, explain I, that. I do. 
These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And I think that's what Hebrews teaches mm -hmm. us, too, is that these things exactly. are a shadow of things to come. Exactly. And do we want to deal with shadows or the real thing? Yeah. The shadow was the Old Testament way of doing things. They were pointing to the reality who is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ's victory through the cross is the new covenant. The law is gone. Grace has come. John 1, 17 tells us. Very clear. <laughs> For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the, the law Simple. is invalid, it's obsolete, it's gone, a change is taking place. All these verses confirm that. The new covenant administered through grace supersedes the Old Testament religious ritual and religious law and priesthood, Hebrews 10.1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Very clear. Simple. Only pointing to what was coming. They weren't the realities, but the reality comes in Jesus Christ. Mormonism serves the shadow instead of the real thing. Living under religious law has gone, grace has come, so the priesthood is different. It's like a homeowner who pays off their mortgage. He's no longer required or obligated to make, continue to make payments on the old mortgage, and if he does make those payments, they won't be acceptable or they won't be accepted. It would, the making those payments would totally be in vain. The Old, the old Testament Levitical, or what is called the Aaronic priesthood, is of the Old Covenant. It's no longer valid. It's been completely paid off and fulfilled by Jesus Christ. He paid off the old, and now he alone mediates the new. No other priesthood, religious works, temples, laws, ordinances are required or accepted. There is no longer any office of priesthood, but there is office of high priest, which is held by only one person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And that high priest is a different type than the Old Testament high priest. There is no Melchizedek priesthood order or line of high priests. There was only one Melchizedek anyway, only one high priest at a time uh, until the high priest died. And there is only one high priest now, and he is like Melchizedek, meaning uh, singular, exclusive, and forever. In the Old Testament, there could only be one high priest at a time, and he could only be from the family line of Aaron's oldest son. Even Jesus didn't qualify for that priestly office because he was from the line of Judah. He wasn't a Levite. The Old Testament high priest's greatest duty was on the Day of Atonement, which came only once a year, and the high priest then stood in the Holy of Holies, mediating before God on behalf of the people. But Melchizedek was not part of the Levitical high priesthood of the nation of Israel. In fact, Melchizedek is a mysterious figure in the Old Testament, first mentioned in Genesis chapter 14 as a priest and as the king of Salem, and is mentioned only one more time in the Messianic Psalm of 110, which focuses on the Messiah. Yeah. And they've pulled a whole priesthood out of those two very mysterious mentions. Well, I always thought it was interesting because the Levitical priesthood of, of, from the tribe of Levi, uh, Joseph Smith claims to have received that Levitical priesthood, and he certainly wasn't from the tribe of he Levi. He wasn't. He so. bragged all the time that he was from the tribe of Ephraim. <laughs> 
So he shouldn't so have he, qualified for he that. He would not student. have qualified. There's no way he place. would have qualified. There was only one Melchizedek, and there's only one person who is qualified to hold that kind of priesthood now, Jesus Christ. Now, the new covenant and the new high priest is superior. We're going to show ways that it's superior to the old covenant. Uh, some of the reasons this new covenant are superior. Yeah, here's three of them. It is superior because it brings a better hope. It was promised by oath directly from God. It guarantees the success of the new covenant of grace because it is mediated by the power of the high priest, Jesus Christ, who is the only high priest that can make perfect those who trust him exclusively under the covenant of grace. Okay, so, so God has sworn by oath his guarantee of a better covenant. Yeah. This covenant, this is the new covenant, this covenant is sealed by the blood of the high priest poured out on the cross to cleanse believers of sin. Is there any other person who can assume this role, no. who can qualify based on those things? No one but Jesus Christ can be the guarantee of a better covenant. It's obvious that no other man can be high priest of God under the new covenant. The old covenant priesthood was weak and useless because it was based on the law and the law can never make anyone not sin. It can only show us what it is we do that is sin. I think that's an important point, too. And in Hebrews 7.18, it says, The former regulation, or the religious law, is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Now, this better hope, this yeah. better hope is so important as we discuss this new covenant with its new priest. The verse, this verse says, The law made nothing perfect, but in the new covenant of grace... We have a better hope, a better hope than trying to keep religious law in which we all fail. The better hope in the new covenant of grace, which cannot fail. The new covenant of grace, God's Holy Spirit is actively at work in Christians. He changes our hearts so that we want to choose to obey God. And at the same time, he gives us the power to resist temptation. The Old Testament priesthood rituals never covered our sin, but they, they, never took, they only covered sin, but they never took the sin away. And we cannot have a relationship with God unless our sins are taken completely out of the way. So the new uh, high priest with his covenant of grace brings us a better hope because he took away our sins. Yeah. It's called a better hope because now we can be made perfect and draw near to God through the work of Jesus Christ, not through our own works or temples or marriage or tithing and not through any ordinances, but only through the new and better hope of Jesus Christ's exclusive priesthood. This in no way is reflected in Joseph Smith's so-called restored priesthood. Joseph Smith did not restore the Old Testament priesthood because the priesthood he initiated has no similarity, no reason, and no responsibility even resembling the Old Testament priesthood at all. And the New Testament high priest is Jesus Christ alone. The office of high priest is based on a personal oath from God and because he lives forever, as explained in Hebrews 7. 
verses 15 through 17. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So becoming a priest in the likeness of Melchizedek is not inherited according to family line or because of genealogy. It is not earned by merit or worthiness, and certainly it is not based on someone's personal religion. It is not held by many men, but only one person at a time can hold it and is passed on to another only when that person dies. But... Jesus has an indestructible life. He will remain alive forever and ever into eternity so no one else can ever hold his Melchizedek priest. I don't High think the, I don't think the LDS or or and the probably the polygamists are ever really considering what Hebrews has to say. But here in Hebrews seven, twenty through twenty two, others became priests. That would be Aaronic priests without any oath. But he Jesus became a priest with an oath when God said to him, "The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever." Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Okay, so we have all these good things happening. We have God's oath and God's guarantee and God makes us perfect and, and, and all of these things that are going on regarding this new uh, era of, of one high priest in the order of Melchizedek. God promised through an oath and a guarantee and that blows away all comers. The old priesthood changed, making way for the new high priest held by one person and sealed by his blood. And celestial marriage or polygamy are not part of God's personal oath. And so they cannot be the new and everlasting covenant. They cannot even be included in the new and everlasting covenant. God swore the, the high priest, Melchizedek, high priest to Jesus Christ, not to Joseph Smith. Psalm 110. Yeah, this is the other reference to Melchizedek in the Old Testament. It says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, the word forever is important. Yes, it is. <laughs> because, again, there could only be one high priest at a time and, yeah. and, and in the Old Testament. And when that high priest died, then the other would come along and take his place. But Jesus will never die. And there's only one high priest. God's oaths and promises are forever. And for anyone else to ever lay claim to the Melchizedek priesthood is saying that God has broken his promise to Jesus and that just cannot happen. It is the high priest's personal responsibility to be sure that all aspects of the new covenant is fulfilled. Jesus is the only one who is able to guarantee its successful fulfillment. No one else can do that. And he does this in part by giving us his righteousness. His own obedience is given to those who will trust in him alone for their eternal life. He makes us righteous that way. It's Jesus plus nothing and plus no one else. Only Jesus could do that and only he is doing it and he will complete it perfectly in those who trust him alone. But only for those, and only for those who, who will set aside all personal attempts of worthiness yeah. 
and throw their trust on Jesus Christ for eternal life. He can and he does guarantee the eternal success of the new covenant and no one else can do that. What human can guarantee <laughs> the success that those who trust in Jesus will go to heaven? No, no one. No one, no one can do it. No one has that priesthood authority. Another reason that his priesthood is superior is because it's unchangeable. Yes, in Hebrews 7, 24, it says, But this man, Jesus, because he continueth ever, forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Now, one thing that's fun is to go into the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek, yeah. and find the meaning of the Greek word used that's been translated into English. And the word unchangeable in the original language means it cannot be transferred. It is untransferable. It cannot be transferred or given to anyone else for any reason at any time. It is forever and ever belong to Jesus. That's what it means when it says it's an unchangeable priesthood. Yeah. It cannot be given to someone else. Because the Levitical high priest grew old and died, there was an obvious need for many high priests in those days to succeed one after the other. But Jesus possesses an endless life. So there's no need to transfer his high priest status to someone else. But Jesus possesses uh, this, this forever life, and no other Melchizedek no, high priest that, that can ever say that. It cannot and will not be done because Jesus lives forever, and so forever it will be only his. And so the result is... Jesus is first to hold the priesthood after the manner of Melchizedek, and he is the last to hold the priesthood after the manner of Melchizedek, and he is the only one who holds the priesthood after the manner of Melchizedek. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. That's what Hebrews is teaching. No one can follow Jesus with it. No one else can share it with him. No one can look forward to inheriting it or earning it or becoming worthy of it because there's only one high priest at a time and the one holding it now is never going to die because he holds it forever. Jesus, our high priest, did not just begin the, God, the job of saving us. He completed it and he continues to oversee the process of eternal life for those who trust in him alone, not for those who live polygamy. His priesthood is superior because as high priest, Jesus meets all our needs and he meets the requirements to be high priest. He is holy, blameless, he's pure, he is set apart from sinners, and he is exalted above the heavens. No other human being has these required qualifications. He is holy because he has no sin. He was qualified to sacrifice for other sins when he offered himself. All humans who want to be priests are weak and they are all sinners. But this high priest is perfect. He never sinned. Joseph Smith claimed that he restored the Old Testament priesthood, but instead he mutilated it. Yeah. And besides that, the Old Testament priesthood has been replaced with the new. The old has gone, the new has come, and contrary to section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants, marriage and polygamy have no part in the new priesthood or the new and everlasting covenant. Our high priest is God the Son, Jesus Christ. He's not progressing to perfection because you cannot progress to better than perfect. He has always been and forever will be perfect, pure, and sinless. And to sum all this up, Dr. David Crump used the analogy of <coughs> excuse me, placing 
<clears throat> a classified ad in the newspaper under the head heading wanted Melchizedek priests. <clears throat> now, a specific job description and qualifications would be listed for those who wanted to apply for the job to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There would be two categories that the ones who apply for the job would be required to meet, and they would be, and they're on the screen. First, that he has certain personal qualities, and number two, personal ability and expertise required to fill the job. Now, that's the way you would set a want ad, a, a personal want ad. Right. You have to have certain qualities, and then as a person, and then this certain is your ability. job yeah. description. Right. So, according to the biblical description, let's see if there's even one human being that qualifies for the position of Melchizedek High Priest. The ad would read like this. Wanted, High Priest in the Order of Melchizedek. Personal qualifications required. He must live forever, never die, have no beginning and no ending. He continues his un indestructible life through his own self-possessed inherent power. Is there anyone out there? At this point, who can kind of, qualify? Even after just number one, kind of that can qualify, the rest, doesn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> number two, he needs to have personally received an oath from God, promising that he is made the Messiah of the world. Number three, he must be holy, not just trying to be holy, but holy, absolutely free of all sin, no blemish, no inadequacy, never ever having done anything even slightly wrong or even thinking it. And last. He must be the eternal Son of God who meets the seven qualifications of sonship in Hebrews chapter 1, which means he is the mediator of creation and he always sustains creation by the power of his own spoken word. Now that's just the qualifications, the personal qualifications to be yeah. high priest. And remember, these are based on the very Bible from which Joseph Smith claimed he restored the Mormon priesthood. Is there even one person on the planet who, can, who has the qualifications for this office of Melchizedek priest? Now let's look at the expertise and the work required for anyone to be a Melchizedek high priest. All right, number one, he must be the effective <coughs> high priest for all of God's people on planet Earth and make sacrifices sacrifice for the cleansing of sin. He must be able to make all of God's people everywhere on the planet absolutely perfect. He must be able to sanctify all of God's people and guarantee that they will share in God's character. And he must be the only mediator between God and man. Number three, he must be able to initiate the new covenant promised by God in the Old Testament. And all those who place their faith in him alone, he will fill with his Holy Spirit. He must be able to guarantee the success of the new covenant with each person who trusts in him. He needs to constantly be interceding before the throne of God for all of God's people all around the world all the time. And he must personally have the power to bring to them the power of grace so that they would always continue to always walk in perfect obedience. And he must have offered his own perfect sinless life as the final sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's the biblical They're requirements. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. That's the biblical requirements to be a Melchizedek high priest. Is there anyone who can do it? No human on the planet can qualify or claim this by themselves. There is a terrible misunderstanding in this culture about who Jesus Christ really is. One thing is absolutely certain. He is not Satan's brother. Jesus warned us that if we do not believe who he is, we will die in our sins. That means unforgiven. And dying in our sins will result in an eternity in hell. John 8, 24. It says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, 
ye shall die in your sins. And he says, you have to believe in who he is. And yes. when he says, I am he, he is saying, I am God. He's already been talking about that. It's so a context of all that, those chapters. Jesus is not Lucifer's brother. He is not our elder brother. Jesus Christ is God. He is creator. He's the only mediator. He is the one and only almighty God. He was not a polygamist. He is <laughs> the one and the only high priest in the similitude of Melchizedek. The work of the priests in the Old Testament was to shed the sacrificial blood. The sacrifice of Jesus as the Lamb was a once and for all sacrifice in fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrifices and in fulfillment of the Old Testament office of priests. After that fulfillment came the Melchizedek priest who alone could bring grace. There is no other who can be priest to offer sacrifice. There is no other to be a lamb, which would be the sacrifice. There is no other man to be high priest that can bring grace to apply the cleansing blood of the sacrifice lamb of God. All other comers are nothing but a fraud. In the new covenant, only Jesus Christ qualifies for high priest in the manner of Melchizedek. No priestly succession is mentioned. No other high priesthood is authorized. And it is absolutely non-transferable to anyone else for any reason at any time. And the position of Melchizedek priesthood has been taken. It is held by God the Son, Jesus Christ. And because of his endless life, no one will ever be eligible to hold this position. Yeah. And doesn't that make the, uh, when the veil of the temple was rent at his crucifixion, doesn't that, uh, isn't that so significant? I never understood yes. the significance of that. That yeah. eliminated that veil between mm -hmm. man and yeah, God. Absolutely. Yeah. And Jesus is the one who tore the veil. Yeah. And we cannot put that veil back up. No. No, Jesus is. Although some have tried. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so we've been talking about Jesus as our only um, high priest in these days of the New Testament era, and now we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus, the biblical fact that Jesus Christ is our only valid living prophet. Now, this <laughs> is an interesting is, uh, study, but it's, it's all biblical, and we'll give you the references. Our culture relies on a so-called living prophet to lead the people in their various facets of Mormonism. Again, referencing Dr. David Crump's presentation as a launching pad, the rest of our show will discuss Jesus Christ being our final and only high uh, or pro just not just high priest, but also living prophet, God has given his testimony about his own son and his own gospel, and his testimony makes every other contradictory testimony worthless. Most people would agree that Jesus is head of his church. I think they would. And it says in Colossians 1.18, He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. And in Acts 2.47 declares, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now these statements in the present tense. Yeah. It's a, if 2,000 years ago and today is still in the present still tense. Still the head of the body. Jesus was and still is head of his church and he is adding members to his church every day. So when a religion claims that Christ's church was lost and ceased to exist because of apostasy and needed to be restored, they insult the eternal and living head of the church. Jesus Christ has never ceased to be head of his church and he has never been head of a non-existent church. In Ephesians 3.21 it says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what does all mean? 
Sounds like it means eternal. <laughs> and, and, and ever and ever. I mean, those words are important. So a thousand years ago, 1,500 years ago, 500 years ago, Jesus was head of his church that he promised would remain through all generations. His church never ceased to be and there was no apostasy. Our discussion that Jesus is the only living prophet, like our priesthood discussion, is based on the book of Hebrews, in which we will discover that the only prophet that can or does lead God's people is the one who is head of his church, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ alone. No one ever needs to settle for anything less than the very, very best that God has to offer. And what God offers to us for a prophet is none other than the resurrected Lord and Savior, our prophet and priest and king, Jesus Christ. There is no other who can match him and anything in anything. Therefore, no one else can ever come and hold his exclusive position ever. Jesus' office as the final prophet is one of the foundational points made in Hebrew. 1 Corinthians 3.11, let's start with that one. Yeah, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that foundation was laid yes. over 2,000 years ago, and it has never had to be laid again. Our focus must be on Jesus Christ, always Jesus Christ, only Jesus Christ, and can never include any other person as part of God's plan for our eternal life. So if you cannot trace your religion with all of its doctrines and dogmas established in and through Jesus Christ alone as far back as 2,000 years ago and following Jesus Christ alone as your prophet, you are following on the wrong path which Jesus identified as the broad road to destruction. We begin with Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. I hope people will really listen to this. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So these verses are telling us that there is no revelation to supersede the revelation that God has given to us through Jesus Christ and that nothing can be added to it. If we want to know anything about God's final prophet for our answers, uh, we do find all of our answers in the person of Jesus Christ and only in Him. He is the only manifestation of God's message. He is the greatest messenger ever sent by God and no one can offer anything greater. So there's nothing more that can be said, nothing more to be revealed because Jesus Christ is the greatest that there is. The ancient biblical Israelites believed that the Messiah would someday appear as the final and greatest prophet of all. We find that in Deuteronomy 18.15. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Now the Jews believed this promise. Waiting for the Messiah. And they waited and they expected a Messiah to come who would be that prophet. <clears throat> like Moses. And John one twenty one proves this to be true when they came to John the Baptist with their question. Yeah, and they asked John, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And that question refers to Deuteronomy 18, the prophet. The prophet, not a prophet. 
The fulfillment is quoted again in Acts chapter 3, verse 22, where Peter testifies that the resurrected Jesus is the final prophet like Moses. He is the one and the only one to whom God said we must listen. The Old Testament prophets spoke of God's future promises. The New Testament speaks of the fulfillment of those promises. The fulfillment is Jesus. Now let's look more closely at these verses in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. So the times past is the Old Testament, before Messiah came. And these last days is the New Testament after Messiah came. The time in which God spoke to prophets is in the past. Because in, those, in these last days, he speaks to us through the Son, the Messiah. Old Testament human prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah are no longer called or commissioned by God. Now we realize there's a lot of disagreement about what we just said, but this is the Word of God. And we can't reject any passage of biblical scripture in favor of any other passage just because it doesn't say what we want it to say. All scripture must be reconciled together in order to discover God's amazing truths. Back to Hebrews 1.1. God has spoken, and he spoke to the Old Testament people through human prophets. During the Old Testament times, there was a succession of prophets, and each prophet knew that he was only one of a long part of a tradition of prophets, hundreds of years of prophets and prophecies. Their prophecies related to each other, but they never contradicted each other. Each prophet built upon the other prophets, and they were all speaking of the same future promises. For instance, Daniel's prophetic words were built upon Jeremiah, uh, what he wrote, and Malachi built upon Isaiah, and, and, and all of them were speaking of the same promises and warning the people of disobedience. Now this is important because in the New Testament era, we never see a succession of prophets one after the other, nor are there instructions in the New Testament about any succession of prophets. The New Testament does not build upon previous prophets like the Old Testament does. Instead, the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets and promises. Nothing and no one comes after the fulfillment. And no one else can ever come to add to what Jesus did or to what he said. There is no one who can succeed him or who is able to reveal beyond what Jesus revealed or to restore what Jesus never lost. No one can add to what Jesus has already completely given or said or did. The New Testament talks about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he will do, and how to be his people. The New Testament talks about the history of the early Christian church that worshipped Jesus. There is no belief, no practice, no hint of Mormonism in the New Testament. There is no hint of what polygamy groups believe and teach and practice. In the New Testament are letters that were written by servants of Jesus to servants of Jesus. And there's a lot of information about the second coming of Jesus. Everything in the New Testament revolves around this one person, Jesus Christ. No one can make a valid claim that Jesus is only part of a line of prophets like the Old Testament prophets or legitimately say, I will add more to what Jesus has said. Because Jesus is all there is. There's no more. 
Jesus himself said the prophets and religious law ended at John the Baptist. Yeah, Luke 16, 16 <coughs> says the law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Now these are Jesus' words. Yeah. He is the one who said that. Jesus also taught that everything is bound up in only two commandments. Love God with all we are and love our neighbor, Matthew 22. Yeah, 40. verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now those are Jesus' words. Yeah. So if all of the law <laughs> and all of the prophets hang on those two commandments, what more can be revealed or required? Why would we need anyone else to come along and, s and say a bunch of mumbo jumbo? <laughs> And because Jesus knew that many people would raise up prophets who were not genuine prophets, he warned us in Matthew 24. Yeah, several warnings, and this one in 24, verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And that's the story of this culture. Based on this information alone, no one, including Joseph Smith, can come along and add to what Jesus did or add to what Jesus said or replace Jesus' covenant with another so-called new and everlasting covenant of a mythical celestial plural marriage from which men say they have the right uh, from God's commandment to practice spiritual authorized adultery. When Jesus came, the end times began, and in these last days, God has spoken to us for the last time by His Son. Again, Hebrews 1, verse 2, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Okay, and yeah. that's past tense. Yeah. Jesus has come, Jesus has spoken. Now, in case anyone looks for a latter-day living prophet to be designated as God's spokesperson, that person must be tested to meet certain qualifications based on requirements from biblical scripture. Now, these requirements are within the verses of Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, and one of those requirements is he must be God's particular son. And this son must meet certain qualifications before he can be designated as prophet. And the qualifications are... Number one, God must have appointed him to be heir of all things. And Psalm 2, 7 through 8 says that this son has been given the, the earth. earth and the nations for his possession. So yeah. that son, I mean, a lot of people claim to be God's son. But this particular son has, ha, has been given <laughs> the earth and the nations for his possession. I don't know of any prophet who can claim this. No. And number two. Number two, this son is the son through whom God made the universe. He must be the Lord of the universe. So that disqualifies everybody. It disqualifies <laughs> the rest of the, the whole world, yeah. doesn't it? No one else can be a valid living prophet. Number, number three, three uh, this son is the son who sustains all things by his own powerful word alone. So all things continue to exist simply because yeah. Jesus speaks it. To, to, into existence and also into continuation. That's okay. how powerful this son is. And the last two, number four, this son must have made purification for sin by his death and resurrection and become our only high priest. And this prophet's son has provided for us to be forgiven. He has ascended to the throne of God where he sits as king of the universe. Okay, that's pretty big stuff yeah, <laughs> for someone who, who wants to be prophet to claim that they can fulfill yeah. uh, that, those qualifications. Yeah, I don't and, think and anybody here on the earth has done that. And, and I hope there's nobody out there who claims that they can do that or claims that that's who they are. 
of course, false Christ will come, and, yeah. and, and they will do that. But there's more, uh, th and of course, no mere human uh, can ever fill these requirements. Only Jesus Christ can be our latter-day prophet in these last days, as Hebrews tells us. The Son also is the very nature of God Himself. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says he is the radiance of God's glory. He's not a mirror that reflects God's glory. He is God the Son, the one and only prophet who speaks to us today. He is the exact representation of God with the very nature of God because he is God. The Son's position and claim as final prophet is rooted in the fact that he is God. I know a lot of people like to think they're God, but no one can claim this. <laughs> right. And no modern prophet can ever honestly make such a claim. John 1.18 tells us that Jesus is the only begotten Son, is the one who reveals the Father. The final prophet is the one who comes down as God himself to teach the world about God. No one else can do that. No mere sinful mortal human can have anything more to say about God, about salvation, and about righteousness than what Jesus has said. He's our final prophet. He said it all. He did it all. It's finished. And why would anyone want to go backwards into the Old Testament days of promise when we now live in the days of fulfillment, not restoration, but fulfillment? There's nothing more to know to know God. There's nothing more to know to gain eternal life. There's nothing more to do but believe on the one God has sent, Jesus Christ. That's John 6, 29. Yeah. Let's, let's do another help-wanted ad, beginning with the job description for office of prophet, like we did with the office of high priest. And again, this was an analogy by Dr. David Crump that we're they're launching this with. If we placed a classified ad in the newspaper for a prophet, this is what it would look like. Prophet needed. Seven qualifications are required to fill this job description. Now, this prophet must be the Son of God who is the fulfillment of all the prophecies and all the promises that have ever been given by previous revelation. To apply for the job as prophet, you must be God's Son with seven qualifications based on Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Number one, to have been appointed personally by God as heir of all creation, to have eternally, eternally coexisted with God from the beginning and be the mediator of all of God's creations. Number three, you must be the source of the radiation of all the glory and majesty of God himself. Number four, you must be the exact representation of God's being. You must uphold all existing things with the power of your own spoken word. Number six, you must have laid down your own life that through your shed blood you could provide purification for the sins of the world. And last, number seven, you must be seated now at the right hand of God in heaven doing your work as prophet from your seat next to the throne speaking to God's people today from heaven. Wow. <laughs> wow. Is, is there anyone out there, anyone who can claim these qualifications, no, who would, who would dare even apply right. for the job? Hebrews 1-2 says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. God has spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ, and no one else. There is no other prophet. God said we must listen 
to him. Now, when it says the, the God's son here, uh, God, Jesus is known as the word of God. Isn't yeah. that one of his titles? Yes. The word of God. Oh, so Newman. when God speaks to us through the word, that's preaching for Jesus. And this Bible is the word of God. And this is how God speaks to us today. Not through visions, not through, through dreams, not through manifestations, but only through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the word of God, the living word of God. The job of Latter-day Prophet cannot be fulfilled or filled by any human being. Dr. Crump used this great illustration. You'll understand this. <laughs> Everybody else will understand this one. Those who want to follow the pattern of the Old Testament prophetic office as the standard for today is like a husband who comes home from work and insists on sharing his dinner with a photograph of his wife rather than eating dinner with his living flesh and blood wife physically seated by his side. That's who would do that? because the Old Testament was a shadow. Yeah. We reread those verses. Right. They were a photograph. They were pointing. They were a picture pointing to the fulfilled promises of the New Testament time. Just a shadow pointing to the reality and the fulfillment. And, and going back to the old priesthood, the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament law, the, old, the temple and all of that stuff is merely going back to the shadow and ignoring the substance or the reality. Jesus Christ is the full fulfillment. And once you know him and come to see his glorious revelation of God, you will never want to listen to any other so-called prophet ever again, no matter who they claim to be. You will never, ever be able to believe that celestial marriage, which is polygamy, can in any way have anything to do with eternal life. And it's a truth, yeah. and that's where Jesus said, the truth will set you free, yeah. and it will in that. So we have laid out some very clear, um, we hope clear, I should say. Yeah. It is. It's very difficult to, to kind of grasp this, and I, th I don't think that too many, and I don't know about polygamists, but the LDS, they don't go through this and have this concept of, of what Hebrews is talking about. And when it talks about the blood of uh, goats and bulls not covering, the sh uh, covering sins, and it talks about in Hebrews, and that this is all a shadow of things to come, mm -hmm. I just don't think it's well understood. Mm -mm. You know? I, I, but you know, it's very interesting. Someone said they were talking about the shadow versus the reality, and I think it was Dr. Barnhouse, he said, answered the, one of his children's questions about the shadow, and he couldn't quite, he wanted to get a good illustration in his mind, and finally, uh, they were driving along the road, and a big semi came by, and the shadow uh, of that semi, you know, covered their car briefly yeah. as it passed by, and he thought, that's it. And, and he said, if we're driving down the road, would you rather be hit by the truck or the truck shadow? <laughs> Good point. Because the shadow has no substance. Yeah. But the truck, whoa, you know, <laughs> that, that, that's a whammy. And that's what we are talking about with the Old Testament priesthood, prophet, rituals and all that. that it was just the shadow. There was no substance to it. It was pointing to the reality yeah. of Jesus Christ alone. I may have missed that, but I certainly didn't understand it earlier. Well, and you, and and you can't really. I don't believe anybody can understand it. Number one, when you started studying the truth, that's when understanding came. Yeah. That's when you wanted the truth, yeah. and God 
wants us to seek him. He says when we seek him with all of our heart, we'll find him, and that's when we start to understand these things. Until then, people will just laugh at us and say, you don't know what you're talking about. But if you disseminate words, words are meant to be interpreted, uh, to be understood. They say it's your interpretation. They're meant to to say something. To mean something. And that's what's so surprising about all of the uh, information or uh, the way we look at the temple. Um, now, I don't think you have temples in polygamy. Is the, the, my group didn't, but other yeah. two groups do. They do. Mm-hmm. Of course, the LDS do. And to think that the the temple is, is used for anything else but what they used it for in the Old yeah. Testament is, is just blasphemous, really. It, it, it Actually, it is it yeah. is blasphemous what they're doing. Yeah. It, it really is. And I know that's a soft point, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's true. It's blasphemous what they're doing. The Old Testament temple had nothing to do with what they're doing in today's yeah. LDS temples. And there was only one temple. That's right. In the Old Testament. Yeah. Only one. And God said, you must go to that place where I place my name. Yeah. No other place. Now, if other people built temples or altars, God destroyed them or had them destroyed. Yeah. But there was only one temple authorized to do the work. And the high priest's work was sacrifice. Yeah. I don't see any... I don't see any Mormons out there doing that no, today. They didn't, didn't restore that part of it, did they? No, <laughs> no. Like I said, and that's what the high priest was doing the in high the Old Testament was shedding blood. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Making the high priest made the uh, atonement on the Day of Atonement right. for the people with yeah. the with the blood. They didn't restore then everything, I guess. They, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, Joseph Smith didn't understand the Old Testament no, uh, prophetic office or priesthood no. office either, or temple, no. or he. Well, I would. I shouldn't say this, or he wouldn't have done it, because he probably would have, <laughs> might very well have done it anyway. Um, but there is so much difference. Uh, it's so important for our viewers to have the right Jesus, yeah. to have the right God, to have the right Bible, to have the right gospel. Well, to trust the Bible, for sure. They don't have a... Again, I'm not sure about the polygamists. Do they have a trust in the Bible, or are they, do they have this? They're about like the, the, the LDS. They'll use it. They'll, yeah, they use the same articles yeah. of faith as the Mormons, but they will use the Bible only to prove something like Abraham was a polygamist, and so we have to live polygamy, you know, to make it say something yeah. uh, that will back up one of their doctrines. Well, that's basically all it is. Yeah, I just didn't have a trust for the Bible, and now, uh, of course, it, it just means everything to me, so. Mm-hmm. It, it is everything. Yeah. It, it is our, um, our, our, our owner's manual that yeah. we need to go to. And for doctrine, for heaven's sakes, go to the Bible for your doctrine. Don't go somewhere else. Um, and, and the Old Testament, you can go there to find out whether or not what you believe is based on what the Bible teaches. Um, and if you don't understand it, you can always email us, you can call us, don't call us names, but if you're really willing to learn, we would love to um, help you understand exactly what it is. But tonight's, sto- the tonight's uh, show based on Jesus Christ it, it is as our only high priest uh, in the manner of Melchizedek, all other priesthood is defunct, it's gone. Jesus Christ is our only prophet, and he is the one that we listen to, and what he has to say is right here in the Bible, which is his word. And you can trust it, and with that, God will teach you the yeah. gift of eternal life. Well, thank you, Earl. Uh, My pleasure. For, very for interesting. helping out with yeah. this. I and get to study it. 
it is a very interesting yeah. study and there's a lot more too that we could have added. First Corinthians 3.11 we talked about for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. Our focus must be Jesus Christ always and only Him. Polygamy or celestial marriage in no way has anything to do with what Jesus has already done. Jesus is the one and only one who presides as head over His church. Jesus Christ alone because He is God. This man and no other man is men's savior. He's the prophet. He's the high priest of our salvation. He's the only mediator between God and man and he feels everything in every way for God. Jesus is the head of his church and no one else and no one helps him. And you will never find in all of scriptures where Jesus Christ taught that polygamy was God's will or his way into heaven. Someday, why don't you get a hold of a red letter Bible and go through the New Testament and read all the words that are in red. They indicate the very words of Jesus. And then in the honesty and quietness of your own heart, compare Jesus' words with the doctrines of your religion. And if you do that honestly, you will discover if your religion follows Jesus Christ or if it follows mere human men adding to and changing what Jesus taught. Mark chapter 7 will also help you through that as Jesus says, teaching doctrines of men rather than the doctrines of God. Your eternity depends upon what you do with the biblical Jesus and the words that he spoke. The writer of Psalm says, I have chosen the truth and that's what we've done. That's what we want you to do and we pray you will. Thank you for watching and good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.